Welcome to another episode of Who Do You Deserve To Be? Um, I'm honoured to have this amazing guest on, on the show today. His story is incredible. What he's doing is absolutely amazing. So I'm not going to go too much into it. I'm going to jump straight in because this will be an incredible episode of this guy. So uh, welcome to the show, Ryan. Ryan Ridway. Thank you for having me, Darren. I'm honoured. You know, you're international. 21 countries now. What a successful podcast series you're, you're delivering. So really appreciate you inviting me on. Um, to talk to you about you know my journey and the world of mental health. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. And yeah, as Ryan said, yeah, I've hit 21 countries now, which is incredible. It shows that mental health is a worldwide thing and we all need to jump in and support each other no matter where we're from. So, so yeah, if you want to jump in and yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. No worries. Um, I'll tell you a bit about my background. So I was the deputy manager for the NHS 1-1 service five years ago, the non-emergency um, healthcare number in the UK and someone asked me in that service if I wanted to be a mental health first aider and I, I had no idea what that was. I was I've never heard of it mental health first aid I've heard of physical first aid for your you know your accidents your heart attacks did that course I fell in love with it and um, it connected the dots for me personally with my own journey but I was using those skills weekly sometimes daily compared to the three or four times I've ever gone to an accident and applied physical first aid. So that's where my, my professional journey began. But in reality, it began when I was about 12. Um, struggled with my mental health all my life. My diagnosis that I've got is obsessive compulsive disorder. And I only got that diagnosis at the age of 35. So you can imagine that's been a really up and down journey. Maybe the last of that generation that were taught to kind of pull your socks up, get on with it and don't talk about it. Hopefully that's a thing of the past. I work in a mental health service supporting people with diagnosis such as schizophrenia. And then like your journey, Darren, where you started with this, this first episode and you just it's grown and grown and grown. I think I've taught now over, I don't know, maybe three, 400 courses. So I teach people how to support others who are struggling with, with their mental health and raise awareness of what true, honest mental health conversation is. And through that, I've met some you know, celebrities and personalities, and you realise that we're all the same. No one's going to escape this. My problems might be different to yours. You know, you might have a million pound in the bank and be living on a beach in Bali. I might be where I am now in, in the UK, in Leicester. But we've all got our own set of problems. They might just look different, feel different, but we all need some support at one time or another. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, it's an incredible story and where you've come from, it's easy to to fall down the down the ladder, so to speak, when you get your diagnosis, especially you cope with it for so long without knowing exactly what was going on. That must have been difficult. Yeah, I use the I use the term cope loosely because yeah. uh, you know what I thought was coping, um, which there's been many different unhealthy coping strategies. Drugs and alcohol are the one that you often think about, but even the gym has been unhelpful or unhealthy for me. I got addicted to the gym, and then there was steroid misuse. There was creating a persona because as a man or someone chooses to identify as a man in terms of their gender, back then. You know, it, it was considered or felt that it was weak. So I went on the door, I did loads of fighting, I got covered in tattoos. But inside, even though I thought I was coping, I was, I was really unhappy. 
and then yeah it's uh what were you like with um your family you're quite close to your family are you and they're quite supportive towards everything they were i mean i've got a great a great upbringing you know yeah. a, a family upbringing the situation that you know anyone could hope for but don't get me wrong we weren't we weren't well off or minted you know <laughs> my dad worked incredibly yeah. hard all his life he had the same job in a factory from the day he left school to the day he retired and he, wow. he hated it but you know what admiration respect for my old man to to work hard and give us what we needed but I don't blame anyone in my world at that time because anxiety wasn't talked about, let alone OCD. There wasn't and still isn't the awareness. So when I tried to talk to mom, dad, friends, even if there was that kindness there, there's a lot of lacking in understanding what to do, where to signpost, how to have that conversation. So I withdrew. My, um, my learned behaviour, sadly, was no one's going to help me but me, so I'm going to be tough, I'm going to be hard, yeah. I'm going to be whatever interpretation of that I think there is. And uh, there's times when I just about coped and there's times when it went pretty horribly wrong. Yeah, I can imagine. And with anyone listening to this with OCD, could you explain a bit more and some people that maybe watch, listening to this, watching this, that don't quite understand? Yeah, absolutely. Obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. It's often used, um, the term's used wrongfully. People say, oh, I'm a bit OCD because I like things neat and straight. And that's a superpower. I can deal with that. I'm well early for everything. I'm never late, rarely late. And I am really organised, but I can deal with that. There's the, the downside, which people have seen in the news and the media where someone has to turn on the light switch a certain amount of times. I had that in the early days. Now what I'm left with is pure O, an intrusive thought cycle that goes over and over. And for those listeners who perhaps find it hard to understand, um, I use this example. Have you ever had, Darren, a really annoying song stuck in your head yes. and you can't yeah. shift it? Yeah. I'm thinking um, Crazy Frog, don't hum it, we'll be done for weeks. <laughs> yeah. Be. Yeah, we'll be, yeah. I'll get that, but it'll be something really distressive really intrusive right. really you know graphic and it all go on and on and on for a few days maybe longer until it you know my mind almost gets bored of it um so it's much more than people might be aware of or, or people see and it's in the top 10 most debilitating illnesses in the world by the world health organization to give you an idea of how um negatively impactful that could could be for someone and it's still really misunderstood in the UK, there are two places that are experts in OCD. Uh, one place who I liaise with re regularly, they all have OCD and they are clinically qualified, which I think is really important. And when I had this consultation with them, the first question they asked me was, when you were younger, did you suffer with ear, nose or throat infections? And I was like, yeah, bad. So did my dad, who's got OCD. So did my cousin. Wow. I said, why'd you ask that? And um, when we have that kind of infection, it can trigger the, the antibodies to, to cure that infection, but they can also damage part of the brain that's irreversible. And we don't generally know about that. We don't really teach that. And um, I found that fascinating because it shows that it's still really misunderstood. You know, we only know a little bit about OCD and the fact that for some CBT, cognitive behavior therapy helps, but for some, it makes it far worse. So, you know, people are signposted with the best intentions, but actually it can have a horrific effect on them. Wow. That's, that's something new for me as well. That kind of helped me as well. And I always say with every one of my episodes, it's a learning curve for me because I understand 
my side of the mental health that I went through, but there's so many sides of mental health that are so, like you said, misunderstood and not mm -hmm. out there enough that having people us come together helps other people understand it a bit more. And that obviously, like you said, it runs in the family, obviously. It's genetic. Yeah. Yeah, way. that's it. It's, it's hereditary, it's genetic, it seems. You know, I've got family members who have struggled in a similar way, really bad. And uh, my dad, bless me, and he got his diagnosis at the age of 70. Because having found wow. mine and found some peace and direction, yeah. I encouraged the old man to go see the GP, which, you know, he's reluctant. He's that generation. Yeah, I'm yeah. all right. Don't worry <laughs> about it, son. Yeah. And um, he got a diagnosis. He's now on medication. And he's the happiest 70 year old you've ever met. And he only reached that space when he's 70. So oh. that life of struggle didn't need to happen. There was lots of stigma, judgment, and actually the lack of correct care. But someone broke their back, we wouldn't let them walk around or, or crawl around with a broken back for like 12 weeks oh. or years. If someone broke the leg, we wouldn't go, you know what, broken leg, we'll stick a plaster on that for a little bit oh. and see what happens. People deserve the correct diagnosis, the correct care, support, medication, not after years of struggle and, you know, process of elimination. Yeah, exactly. And you go, you said again about it being a generational thing. That's another thing, because I'm, as you know, I'm big on the youth and supporting the youth and helping them because they're our future. And even for me, 17 years ago, when I had my, my breakdown, the, the, the stigma then around mental health was unbelievable. It was, even then, men couldn't share their emotions. Uh, it was frowned upon. And the old saying that I absolutely hate, I can't stand is, is man up. Even 17, ah, oh, it just, just despises me, that does. And yeah. 17 years ago, in the, in the new millennium, and you got that going around and that generational thing of men have to be men and can't show... Yeah. Um, and I think something more needs to be done to help and train the kids to, to show that 100%. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Can you show me what a man up, Darren? Is it like a star jump? What is a man up? <laughs> How do I do one? I wish exactly. someone had showed me a long yeah, time ago. I know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've got massive respect for that. If we can, because we don't have emotional intelligence at school. We don't have any lessons or education around understand your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions. If we can educate the youth and then look after those generations that are kind of forgotten, then hopefully we'll find a space where everyone gets the help and support they deserve, they need. And it's okay to talk about feelings. It's okay to say, oh, I cry on a regular basis. I've had two professional cage fights. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're a ballet dancer or a cage fighter. It's all right to cry. If your body needs that, if your mind needs that, let's cry. Let's, let's talk okay. about how we're feeling. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that could really help with that is our educational system. Yeah. I think it's, our, our mental health system is slightly improved as well since I was ill, but there's still so much more room for improvement in regards to getting to diagnosis early enough, giving someone the support early enough and continuously on a regular basis. Um, and in education, we let the kids down drastically because we're too, yes, obviously educational system is education for a reason, isn't it? It's helping people with the, the, the grades, the school life. But 
it just solely focuses on that. And I think that's that's wrong. It, it is wrong. I mean, you know, who are we to question the education system? But if I look at my journey, I've never used Pythagoras theorem in real life. I've never used a protractor. And if I'd have had financial responsibility, you know, APRs and don't get loads of debt and you know that kind of thing, and some emotional well-being, I would have lived a happy, healthier life. Fact. Absolutely I would. Yeah, definitely. I I quite often compare that with um uh Pat Adams, the film, with um I always forget his name and how on earth can I always forget his name because what else has he been in, Darren? I'll help you out. I'm quite good at Mrs. Dalfire. Oh, Robin Williams. That's it, yeah. Why I always forget his name because he's absolutely massive actor, wasn't he? But he always says in, in that film where you don't treat the disease, you treat the patient and you win every time. Why can't they use that saying in education? Yeah, absolutely. Person-centred approach to everything. We're all very different with different needs. Yep, exactly. Because... They're too focused on the grades. You've got to have the solid, rock-solid grades. You've got to be in the solid student. You've got to have everything like that to have a successful life. And they push and push and push. And the stress that the kids go through, especially at a young age, because yeah. at a young age, in primary school age, you think they, they're trying to find out their personalities they're trying to understand everyone else's personalities, make friends. Yeah. And all that pressure. And as you get older, obviously it only gets worse because if you're struggling to find out who you are, you don't know what you're going to be in, later on in life. Yeah, that's it. When you have that, that discussion at school with the careers advisor. So what do you want to be? What do you want to do? I don't know. I'm growing up. I'm just mm-hmm. happy that I'm fitting in or feeling accepted or interacting socially. I've got no idea what I want to be. And, like you said, that academic system, it's like, get this grade, achieve this, pressure, pressure. What if you're creative? Well, you're, a, you're a creative mind, you're not academic. Or it's hard to find your space when you're told that you need to go in that direction and earn money and get a job and achieve all these materialistic things rather than, are you happy? What will make you happy? Exactly, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being comfortable, living the comfortable life. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And... Um, there's a, a lot of honour and, and pride in, in living the comfortable life and a large portion of the population are happy with that. But I'd rather have the comfortable, happy life and be happy with myself and not live the comfortable life knowing that I've got a, a doctorate behind me and £30,000 worth of debts yeah. because of the student and can't do anything with it. And then I'll be miserable I let down in myself I let down with the family because I'm not where I feel like I should be yeah completely that's it It doesn't really matter what you achieve what level position or you know gains like a house the car you've got I'd rather be happy from from within one of the first person people that reached out to me when they found out it was in the world of mental health their Instagram and Facebook is you know private jets beautiful hotel in New York or this location on the beach, you know, the fancy watch. You think they were living the best life. You think he's winning at life. And they, they were the first person that reached out and they said, I'm miserable. They were almost at a suicidal crisis because what they really wanted was they had a bit of debt, like you said, even though they were portraying this, 
The only time with the family I had a newborn baby and they're working out the country for eight months. There's all this stuff where you'd assume and they were posting that they were doing great, but they just wanted nothing more than to be home and having a cup of tea with a partner and being around the kids. So it's, it doesn't really matter what you get to achieve. What's it mean to you? What's that? What's that? For you? Is your soul where it needs to be or, you know, you're not happy and content? Exactly. And as a society, I think we need to come together and push the educational system to change because mm. As I've mentioned before, and you've put, I think you've, I'm sure you've said you've seen it before about that stat about um, the declarations at school sign, and about 100% have signed the health and safety, but only 2% have signed for mental health. To me, as, as a parent, that is point, that's blatantly saying that they don't give a damn about your child's mental health. All they care about is giving them the grades and passing the Ofsted. That's all that yeah. thing, that's all it says to me. It's not well thought through, is it? We had a situation not too long ago, I think about three months, where there was a local school that um, took it upon themselves to weigh the kids every Monday. And it was in a kind of let's tackle and challenge child obesity. But you can imagine at that time when you're trying to fit in and be accepted, there's a mental health risk to that, right? Weighing a child, like using health as a, oh, you know, BMI, which is very much generalised. What about the mental health consideration? What about eating healthy and nutritious and getting the right foods in and focusing on a number on a scale? So we pushed back against that and just went, not happening. No way. No, definitely. Don't blame you. And they should have, like you said, they should have put a, oh, we've, advertising we're doing a new menu this is our new weekly menu this is what we're putting out the school's going healthy and like you said instead of focusing on numbers because i can't imagine the, the effect those kids would have had and gone home and that was that, that's yeah. awful and it's not the school's fault either it was a, a yeah. government or a, a local yeah. council initiative or something they were yeah. told to start doing this it's like who's made that that's, decision because i guarantee yeah. they haven't been involved or involved some mental health professionals in that and considered the whole piece and the individual. Yeah, exactly. And it, I don't get me wrong, I'm not attacking teachers or anything like that. Teachers do an amazing job. Amazing job. Yeah, this is struggles they did with, with lockdown and trying to, to help our kids was amazing. And the work they tried to do with yeah. doing online schooling was absolutely amazing. But it's above them that, that needs to change. It's above them that need to step up and think, hang on a minute, something needs changing. And that's it. I understand that you can't put a counsellor in every single school because to get that many trained counsellors in those all in thousands and thousands of schools could be impossible. I understand that, but most most teachers on site are first aid trained. They'll call put a plaster on a cut. Yeah. Couldn't do, couldn't those teachers be mentally first aid trained as well? Absolutely. And, and same as you, I've got massive respect for teachers, frontline workers, those people at the forefront. It's the support they get that's lacking. And yeah, they, they could be. You know, physical first aid is a legal requirement. You know, any business you walk into, they've got to have by law a physical first aider. Why isn't it by law that you have to have a mental health first aider? The manifesto had been passed before the pandemic and it's gone very, very quiet. And I don't understand it because... That's suggesting physical health is more important than mental health. And actually, they will be on par, intertwine, affect one another. It's like we've got this big piece missing. And if they just made that a legal requirement, 
then you'd have to have in schools your mental health first aid your physical it's covering all bases so yeah it's it's bizarre i mean we could get into conspiracy theories but the question is why haven't they done that why aren't they taking these simple steps to provide people with the support they need exactly and to me that's yeah and to me there's that stigma again in i know probably a large portion of the higher up could be that older generation again we go to that generational thing again and it's yeah yeah, I think until you, again, removing the judgment, until you felt some of this, it's hard to explain. It's hard to get your, your head around. I remember there was that first advert on TV by a bank. I think it was Lloyd's. And it was all about mental health. And everyone's like, oh, that's, that's surprising. A bank talking about mental health, a national campaign. It's because someone at the higher senior levels went through um, an episode of depression and once that had happened, it was like a light had switched on and went, oh, my days, this is a this is a real thing. That was that was awful. I want all our colleagues to know it's OK, you know, if you're struggling this way. So it's almost like there's that five percent club until you've experienced and felt something. It's hard to fully get fully grasp. Yeah, I can totally relate to that because <laughs> I would be before my episode when I was, what, 20. So, yeah, you're looking at 17 years ago. Before that, I was the typical teenage jack the lad going out getting pissed when you do when you're 18 and yeah um i did mix in with the wrong crowd and start with with some drugs as well as the alcohol and you did look at the the guys and if you saw them crying at a nightclub if they split up with a girlfriend and you'd be there laughing and laughing and going oh he's a wuss he needs to learn i won't say that saying again but that that would be in a wuss again and yeah and then obviously i had that experience and then on the journey to recovery you do like you said you, a switch goes and you just think wow it's that's real it's yeah crazy and then you start seeing the numbers of how it affects people and the suicide numbers and it's just it's scary it is that empathy kind of turns on and yeah. you tune into it, don't you? You're like, I don't want that for anyone. That was awful. I'm gonna, I now understand. I'm gonna try and, and that's why the most, a majority, I'm, I'm even gonna say like 95 percent of the people I've taught and trained have either gone through something themselves or they've been close to someone who has, and as a result, they want to use that to help others or they want to, you know, help people because they've seen their partner, kids, family member go through it. So it's almost like that. Oh, hang on. But isn't that just quite um, reactive rather than proactive? You know, it's yeah. like until there's a problem. And that's maybe why we associate mental health with a negative when actually it could be mental illness at one end and optimal mental health at the other, you know, well-being. So it's almost like when it goes wrong, then we'll act rather than let's keep our mental health balanced and understood and do the things we can to provide that early intervention, which leads to prevention of someone potentially get more and well yeah definitely and that of like you said that reaction it's i know from when i was ill i always compare it with that um that they waited until i attempted suicide before they realized i had to be placed in the hospital and something had to be done mm. unfortunately now 17 years on i still hear stories of that yeah. and it's shocking that the system is Yes, in some parts it's slightly improved, but and I know not all doctors are trained in mental health, they're all trained in certain things, but too many people are passed off with medication, with tablets, 
yeah. and then the stigma and the persona that people that get with the tablets are the tablets will do everything for you like an antibiotic yeah. you take an antibiotic and it helps with your your chest infection or whatever too many people have that in their head that it's the same with an antidepressant yeah and it's far from that far from that yeah it might give you the strength to take that first step of the staircase yeah. but there's more to it and you know I, I really hope things are improving but if I look at my journey just over a year ago March 26th last year I was sectioned under the Mental Health Act for suicidal crisis and psychosis and I've worked in the world of mental health so you'd probably think well surely you've got all the answers you've got a great network friends and family but in that moment all those moments where I got poorly and unwell one percent at a time it crept in through the back door my head was saying don't tell anyone you're struggling they'll think you can't do your job so I withdrew I kept quiet until a point when I was that unwell I needed someone to to intervene and uh, thankfully I you know did open up to a mental health first aider and a friend in my world who's a crisis mental health nurse and they got me taken to hospital by ambulance on that day and I sat in a hospital meeting room, not a waiting room full of people, a meeting room on my own for eight hours. Now, during that eight hours, there's loads of times when I thought, I'm going, I've had enough. But I was really, really unwell. You know, I was suicidal, or psychotic. And it was the kindness of stranger that kept me alive that day. Strangers, not experts. There was a stranger who walked past, saw me, you know, distressed, went and got me a coffee. Later on, someone else, who was a stranger, walked past. They come in and got me a sandwich. Then a nurse I was under the care of went and got me a phone charger because my battery had gone over eight hours. And then when they, they came to assess me, they said, oh, um, we just realised, Ryan, your GP is in a different county from this hospital. Another three hours getting transported to the right hospital. And when I got there, the crisis team said, you haven't tried to kill yourself today, so we're going to let you out. And it was a mental health first aider that rang that service, took control of the call, because I wasn't able to have that call, and they sectioned me immediately. Now, if I had the kindness of strangers and a mental health first aider, I would not be here now doing this podcast with you. And I work in the world of mental health. Yeah. Wow. That's scary to think. That's really, really scary. And that's, that's sad, and it kind of puts in perspective. That's happening to you and you've got connections in that area and even you had to have someone force it in and force you to get help yeah i can't imagine what it'd be like for well 16 year old 60 year old someone that just doesn't it'd be a struggle because so many people i know that have gone to a doctor and they've said here's some medication here's a week off work yeah, in some aspects, a week off work could help in some aspects, mm. time to themselves. But how many people live alone these days? Mm. And that would not do them any good whatsoever. The thoughts that would be going through the head yeah. would just be unreal. And they've got no one there, immediately there to, to watch them and to help them and do the small things like they did. The small things matter so much. Just a cup of coffee or a sandwich or it can change someone's life that's struggling. It can, it can, mate. And that's why, you know, we both do what we do. You know, you're spreading yeah. the word, not because you want to, you know, buy a Ferrari and make a million pounds because you want to help people because you've been through something. And I've got massive respect for you doing that and sharing your story. That's why I do what I do because, 
how many people would get signed off? There's your fit note. You're off work for eight weeks and there's some medication that's going to make you feel far worse before you feel better. So I've just removed the person from any social interaction, routine, purpose, goals, and put them in their own head at home. That might be exactly the wrong direction of recovery. And, you know, again, there's no judgment around GPs. I've got the maximum course, utmost respect yeah. Yeah, for yeah, GPs. Yeah, it's the support they get because... Yeah. You know, often people will go and see a GP in the work that I do and they say, I'm not feeling great. We'll up your meds. We'll up your meds. We'll up your meds. Must be that medication. Let's change it. And all the time, it takes a while for that increase or decrease to, to have effect. So you can imagine the person's on a roller coaster of a journey. And then often people go, you know what, I feel worse than ever. I'm going to not take it. Then you've got a withdrawal period. So, you know, that journey of recovery with medication without it is so many sides to it oh yeah definitely and that side of it is something I, I can definitely relate to as well because of when I came off my medication end of 2007 that like you said that is an immediate effect because I had that that medication over a two-year period and it's like being addicted to heroin say for example yeah. if you give someone and someone's addicted to that and over a large period of time, you take them off of that. They've got the, the cold sweats, the shakes, yeah. the, the hallucinations, everything. They're just completely away from everything. Yeah. Yes, coming off the antidepressants and that, not quite as drastic as coming off of something like heroin or anything. But still, you, you, you've got gained gain control of your own emotions without the aid of, of medication. And... Yeah. The support then I didn't really have as much when I came off medication, which yeah. was hard work. And a lot of people, I think that's where they relapse and they struggle to get back who they are and end up back on that medication and back in the system. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? It's just education awareness, yeah. really. Yeah. So I was on a medication called catiapin. It's an antipsychotic. I was on a relatively low dose, 100 mil at night, but it's also a, a bit of a sedative. So for the last year... I would take this catiapin and within 20 minutes asleep. It knocked me out. You know, I had a blissful night's sleep. Now I've reduced that small amount at a time, but now I'm off it. Guess what? Can't sleep. Now, if I didn't know and work in mental health and it was someone who hasn't got that knowledge and awareness, you know, sleep can be massively important for your mental health. So suddenly you've had a year of being knocked out, sleep within 20 minutes, and now you can't sleep and you wake all night. That is the recipe for a relapse. You know, that is a recipe for a relapse or let me have a few glasses of wine. I need to knock myself out or a whole host of problems, but just the education awareness. You know what? You might not be able to sleep. So here's some suggestions, meditation, mindfulness, going to the gym, um, good nutrition. Try, try all these things and see, but we don't give that education. We just go, right. Yep. Yeah, you're off your meds. Off you go. Good luck. Yeah, Brilliant. exactly. It is. And it's, Education, what can we do as a society, do you reckon we can do to improve education? For me, there needs to be more on social media and on, on television and via adverts, yeah. for me. 100%. And that's why social media, you know, there's, there's some positives to it. That's oh. why you need to keep doing what you're doing and I keep doing what I'm doing because the whole of the mental health system is propped up by charities, organisations, not-for-profits, mental health pages, your podcast. That's how we can hopefully get people educated on this stuff because not enough's happening 
um, professionally, you know, in terms of like what the government provide and, and that kind of knowledge and, and campaigns. It just isn't. So we've got to keep doing what we do, brother. And you keep doing what you do because you do it very well. And, and you too, definitely, you definitely need to uh, keep going and reaching out and keep doing and keep going strong with it, definitely. So one last thing, one last bit of advice you've got for anyone listening and watching this? Bit of advice if they're struggling with their mental health, I think. You know what, I could, or this could be a whole other podcast, so I'm going to share <laughs> a couple of things. Yeah. Um, empower yourself with knowledge. You know, the right knowledge. Sometimes Googling it isn't the right approach. Some great books out there by some really good people. And I know it can be really hard to even work out what you're thinking and feeling, but get yourself some good resource. There's a great app called The Hub of Hope. It's a mental health directory of services. You'll put in town or postcode of where you are, where they are, filter what you're looking for, and it'll come up with all the ones we've heard of, Samaritans, Calm, Mind, then online groups, you know, crisis caps, places that don't advertise because they can't afford to market what they do. So there is a lot of information out there. We just have to work harder than we should to find it. And also my Instagram page, as you know, Darren, is just about mental health. When I started, it was 700 people. Now it's 88,000 of people who have been on this journey with me, who I've taught, who have shared stuff with me. It is a mental health community and all we do is, is share stuff. So if anyone shares something with me, I share it on that platform. It's not exclusive. We're not selling anything. It's just the sharing of best practice information. So again, Darren, I'm going to be posting your podcast regular. The more we share, the more it might reach that person that needs it. Exactly. And it's, like you said, it's all about coming together as a, a mental health community and helping everyone that's, that's struggling for our experiences and, sharing stories is a powerful thing because it's yeah. what gets them by their their struggles and then they can share their stories and that's it and the more that happens the, the more the, the stigma is gone and the, the awareness is completely out there and everyone's free to share their emotions that's it yeah we'll dial down that stigma one conversation at a time and we'll keep going while there's breath in my body i'm not going to stop until there is people say what what stigma around mental health oh brilliant we've made it i can i can rest easy yeah brilliant i love it and i'm gonna say thanks for coming on it was brilliant and amazing and a lot of people are going to take a lot from from what you've said in your story and what you're doing and anyone wants to reach out to ryan like I say just go on into his instagram page and uh or linkedin i'm guessing as well yeah that's it the instagram page is voice underscore for the number four underscore mental health but you just search my name and if you want to connect on facebook linkedin wherever um, but the Instagram one is the mental health page. If you go on Facebook, it's probably pictures of my dog and me dinner. It won't be that interesting. So Instagram's the one. Brilliant. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming on again. It's been an honour having you on. Um, and yeah, we'd love to keep working together and keep beating this together in the future. 100%, mate. Massive respect for what you do. Thank you so thank much you. for reaching out, inviting me on. And uh, 21 countries now. Keep going. Next conversation. I want it to be world domination, Darren, for the Definitely. right reason. Have <laughs> conversation out there. Definitely. That's what I'm aiming for. I'm not going to stop oh, until I do. Awesome. And everyone listening and watching, the usual question I finished the episode with is, who do you deserve to be? And go and get them. 100%.